Okay, DJ, well, welcome to this week's Exorcism podcast. Really great to have you here. We're sitting in uh, Harlem, Harlem, as they say, I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You're but, supposed um, to be able to pronounce this, okay, I'm which are Afrikaans. Again. Okay, Harlem. <laughs> There's no G in there. Okay. Harlem. Harlem. Okay. Harlem. Hageslag okay. eating, tulip growing. The trouble is it's that guttural G, which I But there's no with. G in Harlem. It's an H. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the, 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 the R. The R. Okay, so that's that's where I'm coming from yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah, this, yeah. in this instance. But uh, really good to have you on, on today's show. You've been involved with exorcism for a couple of years now, potentially. I mean, how many how many years have you kind of have you been involved? I don't I don't actually recall my first my first the first time I thought, oh, I'm going to I'm going to be annoying <laughs> and complain. I've been with exorcism since the first version. I do recall. I think it was around Christmas and I was just looking for some exercises to mm -hmm. do. And I found it. I signed up and didn't use it. And then there was a V2 which I do recall a lot. But I think it's been it's been about I would say three three, four years. Four mm -hmm. years probably when I was really like, Oh I'm I'll help out. I'll tell people where I think they're wrong. <laughs> and then but then uh, offer yeah. to fix it. Yeah. And then from a tech perspective, so obviously exorcism was that later on in your journey into tech? Yeah, I, I, I definitely didn't use it to learn a new programming language. It was it started out as busy Busy work, mm -hmm. you know, the same as people find cleaning very soothing. Yeah. I was very busy at work, so I decided to do more because, you know, you already have so many things to do. So I was looking for exercises. I did the Kata Wars. I did the Hacker Rank stuff. And then I found Exorcism. And what I liked about Exorcism is that there were new exercises mm -hmm. that you didn't have anywhere else. There was no make this code golf, so make this as short as possible. And there was no make this as fast as possible, but it was just see if you can complete the exercise in a way that you like. Mm -hmm. Cool. With the added benefit that you could do it in more languages. So for me it was, I, I went to university and I studied computer science, but I only did it because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to do one million things and uh, my parents had a toy shop and it was going bad with the economy. So I figured... So I what year was this roughly that you... Uh, when was the crisis? The US 2000, crisis? 2008? 2009? Yeah, so, so then. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. So I'm 31 now. I started university when I was 17. Um, so about around, yeah, around that time. And um, I was already working for an ICT company. The, mm. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Thing. No. no. <laughs> oh, well, oh, so... Yeah. yeah, yeah. If it's broken, just... Yeah, so for anyone in enterprise, the most common problem with people's computers at offices is that they're not plugged in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was working for, for an ICT company, an IT company, and uh, they did some programming, but I decided, well, if I'm going to study and I'm going to need to support myself because my parents had a toy mm -hmm. shop that wasn't running well because mm -hmm. there was crisis in the world, I better do something that I already know how to do. So I decided to sign up for computer science. And that leads us to kind of... Now ish, yeah. But was this was this in Holland at the time? Yeah, or? yeah. It okay. was in Delft, uh, University of Technology. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so I was seventeen, and I really liked computer science when I started it. Um, and I did it for about seven months, and and then I didn't quit, but I got cancer, so okay. I stopped university. Jeez. Uh, and when I got back, university was being very difficult with me. Mm -hmm. Curriculum had changed. They didn't want to accept me into some of the second year and third year courses because mm -hmm. they were saying, you've been drinking too much. And I said, actually, I was dying, but thank you very much. Um, so I decided to work instead. 
So I only did the projects that I really wanted to do. And that was my introduction to languages such as Java. Um, there was some C, Haskell, Prolog, a lot of different subjects for different courses. But at work, I was using C Sharp. Um, and I knew Ruby from when I was younger, when I tried to be a game developer, because that's the language to do it in. It, it's not, but it was. So, so how, how did you get initially interested in tech from a very young age? Obviously, you went from like you're seeing your parents in a toy store and then the recession and all that. Yeah. But like presumably before that, was there like a tech, this is interesting moment? Yeah, so when I was 12, no, I think it actually, it actually started when I was very young. So when I was very young, there was no Windows 95 yet. It was MS-DOS. And my mom would do the books for the printing company that my parents had. They had a printing company before they had a, they had a toy shop. And she would do the books in Exact, uh, which is a very common accountancy program. And it's in MS-DOS. And it just looks... It looks like the thing that you see hackers do, right? It's like the green screen. The matrix yeah, sort of screen exactly. and all the... And then a little yeah. bit later, it was white, white colored. It, was, it, was all, it looked very interesting, and I like to play around in it, absolutely destroying her work, and she hated it. And my dad was actually one of the people, when he was younger, who had one of the only um, CD burners in the city. Okay. So where he grew up, he was one of the first people with one of those things, and he would, he would copy data for people yeah, and, and yeah. burn it. So... He did like computers. He had a few cho mm -hmm. toys at home, but that was it. I didn't have gaming computers. I didn't grow up with a television. I was in the Scouts when I did competition sailing. But when I was 12, I did get a computer. Okay. And it was slow. It was one of those computers, and those who are a bit older, you know what I'm talking about. It had a turbo button. <laughs> I think I remember what you're talking about. And if you press yeah. it, the computer literally went easier to fence me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it... it it went faster. And your electricity bill went up yeah. <laughs> significantly. And so I played yeah. Rollercoaster Tycoon. Oh, yeah. A what lot. Where did you get to on that one? Um, so, so the computer was so slow that there is this, there is this, <laughs> this one level, and I think it's Rollercoaster Tycoon 2 in one of the expansions, and I think it's, I think it's called Arid Heights. It's the first level you can do without money. And it took me like four months <laughs> to complete it. <laughs> That's amazing. Right now on my computer, I can probably do it in an hour, yeah. but it was that slow. Yeah. And it was great. It was amazing. And I loved best, it. One of the best games yeah, yeah. out there. And it did, it did make me want to get into game development, not because I like programming. I just like playing the game. Yeah. Um, so between my 12th age and, my, and when I turned 18, I did dabble around with RPG Maker, which is... Um, I think it's Japanese, uh, but it's a program that was translated uh, for for an international and mostly American audience, and you could use it to build RPGs. And it's a very much like point and click, mm -hmm. and the entire event system is has UI, but the underlying programming language was Ruby, and the entire the entire scripting language was RGSS. That's a Ruby game scripting system or something like that. And so you can move whatever built-in screens they give you, like a menu, around by changing the coordinates in those scripts because they're exposed. So that's the first thing I did. I moved the screens around, and I felt very accomplished. Oh, well, was, you're a pro. I was I so mean, great. Yeah, I was senior. So great. Yeah, senior, yeah, so yeah. Great. I, I mean, I didn't know any programming. You, this is just you saw numbers, and you understood those were coordinates on the screen, and you changed them around to change the screens on your screen, and it was great. So, like, the connection between what happened on the screen and what you had to do was 
cut it straight forward. Oh, it was almost instant. You it could was almost like, instantly see yeah. it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that that goes into why certain people think that interpreted languages are better to teach mm. beginning programmers, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly because you have the instant feedback. And after that, I did I did work on on more complex systems. So someone made graphics to have leaves animate on the yeah. screen. And so I built a little script that made that leaf actually animate and then oh, cool. float around the yeah. screen. And um, even though I was I was like 14, people did know me by my internet alias, which I thought was very eloquent. It was me and then a trademark sign, okay. which was very annoying when people tried to address me because <laughs> they were talking about me, which was great. Yeah. And as I got older, I did find that the programming was just fun to do, mm-hmm. but it wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to do this one the rest of my life. I wanted to be a surgeon and I wanted to be an astronaut. And I wanted to be into designing medication. Okay. But no. Yeah. <laughs> Circumstance, happenstance. Mm. So by the time I actually worked for that ICT company before university, when I was 17, I had some programming knowledge, but there was no mm-hmm. desire to become a programmer. There was no, oh, Silicon Valley is the coolest thing I've ever seen. It was yeah. just, it's just a part of who you were or who you are. That's how I made some of, of my money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was a job. <laughs> it wasn't until I actually started university and actually did the courses that I realized I was very good at it yeah. to, you know, annoyance of some of my classmates who okay. really did not like that I could come in way too late and still get higher grades than they do, do you think being competent at that point at university was partly because you'd had a long period of time of having had that content material in your minds and that embedded in so to speak is that do you think there's a factor in that like an element of that or was it just like you had a natural affinity and you just knew yeah. what was going on there was a, there was a there is a re- there was research done um I, I don't recall the paper's name and i don't <laughs> i don't even recall the researcher's name but they did they did research on whether or not everyone in the world could become a programmer mm-hmm. remember a few years ago there was this big push to do everyone should code yeah and they found out that there are basically two groups of people, people who will understand and people who won't. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And they found it important to research, or actually that wasn't the goal, but that was the conclusion. They found it important to to voice that conclusion because it means that you're not dumb if you don't get it. It just means that there is a part of mm. having to be able to understand the logical constructs. So this mm-hmm. has nothing to do with, with knowledge. So how often have you seen it or how much do you know about mm-hmm. the language? It is purely, can you make the mental model to make it click? Mm-hmm. And they found that there are people who can and people who can't. And, and in both groups, you'll have various degrees of competence in yeah. terms of if you put that time in it. And I mm-hmm. think it's like that with so many things. Mm. I really like cooking, but I've only gotten better at it because I spend a lot of time in it. Yeah. Right? So you try out. Mm-hmm. So I think there is some skill to it as I know people uh, very dear friends who've tried to cook yeah <laughs> and, as much and as that's they all try. i want to say about it because yeah, yeah. you know who you are if you're listening to this yeah, yeah yeah and that's not to their to their fault there is there is a part that i think comes natural and there's a yeah. part that's acquired and i think with programming it's it's the same do i think it helped that i already had dabbled with programming I, yeah 100%. I mean, I mean, 100%. Yeah. Of course. Mm. It's very similar to someone who's trying to learn an instrument, but they do they do know how to read the notes. Mm. It will help. Mm. Yeah. And it, it may not give you all the benefit in the world, but yeah, it did help me. But a lot of it was also because I was I was already making money with it. So I was okay. doing... So while you were at university, you were you earning your keep building stuff? Yeah. As well as yeah, studying. Yeah, 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 so yeah. it was like you had this dual 
thing going on yeah, at the I same did. time. Yeah. yeah, so I basically study study plus work together was about 60 hours a week. And then also there was going out. So you made the week turn into 270 hours somehow. Uh, yeah, somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, was very, I was very good at very little sleep. Mm -hmm. I also don't get hangovers. I still don't. I just get tired. And that's it. So it was it was, it was great for me. Um, uh, in Dutch we say studeren is leren combineren, which means that studying is the art of knowing how to combine different things. Yeah. And, and and I do, especially for me, that was very true. So then you made an interesting point about the whole cancer thing. So you're in university and then that hits you. Yeah. Out of the blue, something that you were just like... Oh yeah, uh, it was... Bit of a shock, that one, eh? It was shocking... But it also was, I felt very mellow. Uh, getting diagnosed with cancer for, for, for many people is a very long, it's a very long process. It's not like, oh, you go to the doctor and they say, oh, you have cancer. That never happens. You go to the hospital and you get all these tests and, and there is always the worry from doctors. And by the time you've had it once, you know, you know what, what expressions to look for. But they don't tell you you have cancer until they know that you have it. So, and this is a very long process. This, for some people, this takes weeks. For most people, this takes months. But for some people, this takes years before they know. And that's also the horrible part about it is that if they don't look for it, this is what kills you because mm. you're too late. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. And so for me, um, uh, I was in, in, in the mill, as we say here. Um, for for months and months, and then they they finally told me and said, yeah, you have uh, you have lymphoma, this and that, and yada yada yada. Uh, we don't know. We have a diagnosis for you, but not a prognosis, okay. right? So we know what you have. We don't know how long you're gonna live. Yeah. We know it's bad. We don't know how bad. That was it. So I'd tell you everything and nothing all at the same time. And so <laughs> yes. I said, okay, now what? Yeah. And they the people who told me the news were not very happy with my response because they thought I didn't take it seriously. But I said, you're telling me that you don't know what to do, so yeah. what's next? Mm -hmm. And I think the only thing that really changed for me, apart from, of course, be out of the running for for almost a year, is that I stopped saying no to a lot of things. So whereas before the cancer, I was working and studying and going out. Yeah. After that, I just, I, I started to do more. And you did more? Yeah. So I, most people, because most people would be like, okay, Slow down, stop. I stopped saving money. Yeah. I started to spend it because what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, I would die and then someone said, oh, he could have done so many great things with all the money he saved. Now that I'm older, maybe that wasn't the wisest decision. Yeah. But at the moment, that's what my prefrontal cortex told me to do. And, and you know, I was, it was late puberty and go for it. So I traveled a lot. I worked a lot. I studied whatever I liked. Um, which was computer science, but only the courses I was allowed to take and I wanted to take. And uh, then one of my teaching assistants from the first year, uh, he moved to Stanford, which is in California. Um, it's one of the big universities, one of the, the great universities. And he said, do you want to do a summer project for me? Because I work for this company. It's a startup. And I said, sure. Fully confident that I had never touched Android programming in my life i had an android phone it was an android project i've i did java at, at university and that's it that was it and i said sure sure give it to me i'll do it what will i get he said well we'll pay you uh, three thousand dollars um you have to finish it by the end of summer at the moment i was living together with someone in rnm and they cheated on me on my birthday and so i called my best friend who's from texas 
and she says, you just turned 21. Why don't you come over? What have you got to lose? Exactly. Come on over. So I did. I flew over, and when I was in Texas, that teaching assistant said, hey, it looks like you're in Texas. We can fly you out here. So why don't you do your holiday and then, you know, change your change your flight back and then, then come over and work with us for a while. Um, and so I did. And that's how my Silicon Valley story started. And this is how I, even though I was already professionally making money, but more as a means to an end, I, it's how I got pulled into California and the work. I already had my own company because... At I, 21, you'd, you'd set up your own company I set my company Holland? for tax yeah. reasons. Okay. Right. So I was doing the ICT company, but the programming work, I wanted to do that diff- um, not as an employee because as employees, you don't make a lot of money. Um, and there was still a lot of uh, tax benefit I could get. So I set up a company and I told my ICT boss, I said, hey, listen, I want to do the programming work yeah. as this company. And he said, fine. Agreed. I will also increase your pay because you're not an employee yeah. then. I'm like, great. So I already had that. And so I was able to legally have a U.S. client because I already had Oh, you subcontracted out. Yeah, and then exactly. Yeah. I subcontracted out myself. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Um, and I basically did that for four years. Flew back and forth. Um, so you were, you were based in Holland? Yeah. And then you would fly out, do some work, come yeah. back? Just yeah, I would also yeah. work over here. So mm-hmm. I would do work remotely. Um, but I would go there for meetings and, you know, build up a like a working life and experience over there. And it completely replaced whatever I wanted to get from university. So I stopped going. Um, and this is, I mean, this, this ended about five years ago. Uh, and that's when I started to hire people over here. So I grew the company. It wasn't just me anymore. I told one of my friends from university, I said, hey, do you want to work with me on this project? And that project was actually one of the one of the clients from the U.S. And he said, sure, let's do it. Um, one of my other best friends, she actually was hired by a U.S. company. So I still had a reason to fly there to visit her, which is great. So I would visit the clients. Mm. I would make new clients and I would fly back home and then we would do the work. And they would pay us American salaries. Amazing. Uh, and for those who don't know, the cost of living over here is much lower. So... Is it? I mean, I guess California or where was that where you were kind of it is ridiculous. in that area? Yeah. So I mean, it's uh, like three times. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. Yeah. If you, I, I know, I know, I'm spoiled in the Netherlands with access to fruit and vegetables, and and we grow a lot over here, and we import a lot from from Europe. Um, but if you want to get a half a kilo, so 500 grams of strawberries on a market, you will pay if it's within season between one and two euros. Um, and in the most expensive supermarket, except for for the eco ones, um, you will pay about two fifty in season. Out season, it will go up to four or five euros. But let's just say, for argument's sake, it's two euros. The same amount of strawberries at Molly Stones in Palo Alto will cost you about eleven dollars. You serious? Yeah. So it's really. And that's a good. That I think that's a good way to base your prices on. My rent for one room. Uh, and a bathroom was $3,000 a month. It's ridiculous. It's unsustainable. It is also why they need to pay people that much. And and so, yeah, when you move back here and you get the same pay that for a while, that was that was great. Yeah, that was, that was amazing. Um, and then I grew out the company. Um, but there was never, there was never a, 
there was never really a realization for, oh, yeah, I want to do programming or I want to be a programmer or it was just I'm good at it. I can make money of it. And then I started to like it after. And so so now you've, you're in this tech scene, this tech space. One of the things I wanted to ask you about and I would love you to expand on was this whole concept of accessibility. And now I'm coming in a little bit blind in terms of what that means. I know that it's close to your heart in that sense, but expand on that a little bit. Yeah, so currently I build mostly computer programs that can be consumed either by your mobile phone, so mm -hmm. think apps, or websites or web applications, which you consume usually using a browser on your, on your desktop or your laptop or any other browser-capable device. Accessibility is about making what you build inclusive, so accessible to others. It, in essence, has nothing to do with programming. We talk about accessibility when we talk about, well, is there a wheelchair-friendly entrance or toilet? It is to make spaces more accessible means to make it more inclusive so more people can, can use it. Um, I think that I've had a lot of... Oh, a lot isn't very quantitative. I've had, I've had, I've had experience, bad experience, negative experience with um, racism and ignorance all over the world, including this country. Majority of it, I strongly believe, comes from comes from ignorance, um, but it goes as far as my watch, uh, my smartwatch, burning into my skin because they didn't design it for more pigment. So the official support request, when I, when I told them I was having a spot and it wouldn't either detect my heart rate or it would burn, was try to wear it on the inside where there's like less pigment. That was the <laughs> really? official answer. That's, that was the response that, that you got. That was the official response. You can see me, other people can't, but I'm like Dolce de Leche caramel color. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not... Okay. Uh, I'm not very dark toned, I'm not very light toned, it's like right there in the middle. Mm -hmm. But I've had issues with soap dispensers not dispensing soap. Or doors not opening. Okay. Really? Yeah. And, and you know, that stuff annoyed me, but it's all inconvenience. Um, mm. I mm. don't have people around me who are visually impaired to an extent that they need assistive tools. I don't have mm. people um, who are uh, deaf or hard of hearing. But I can imagine mm. what it's like for them if how they are negatively affects them when they're trying to live. Because that's what it is, right? So when I looked into yeah. this, mm -hmm. which literally means one night I opened Google and I started reading up on, on Mozilla's pages about accessibility. They, they do have quite a bit of information on there. I found out that a lot of the things we can do as web, primarily web-based, but also app developers to make stuff more inclusive is not complex. Um, and by not complex, I mean I did a talk a few weeks ago where I showed the difference, or actually I let people listen to the difference between about 15 minutes of work, between something that is completely inaccessible and something that is not horrible. And so this excuse of companies that they say, oh, you know, it takes a lot of money and takes a lot of mm -hmm. time to make stuff accessible. <laughs> it's just, it's, excuse. Prob yeah. it's probably ignorance, which is the most positive way to see it, but it's also <laughs> It really is. And so, when I found out it was easy to do, I started to advocate for it. So give me give me a, a, an example of something like in an app or a web browser that like just as an example. Oh, here's the here's the here's the easiest example. People assuming you have a mouse. 
So that means hover states, which you don't have on your mobile phone. This is the most common thing that people actually know because they use the website on their phone and they want to see a tooltip and they can't see it unless they long press on a thing because that's what simulates the hover on your mobile phone. Now, imagine you don't have a touch device and you don't have a mouse, but you use your keyboard. If you use standard web elements, so HTML, uh, the way it was intended to use, or if you use the right primitives for your Android or your iOS app, or when you use libraries such as React Native, this will not be an issue. And this is the important part. Smarter people than me have thought about this endlessly. There are documents and documents and documents about how using standards can make things better for everyone. But if you can't use your keyboard to navigate a website, it means that there is a part of the world who can't use your website, which is sad because you want to build stuff so people use it, right? So this has nothing to do with doing more work. It has everything to do with you want your work to be out there, or at least you should. So I, I think guess you you're should. saying is like being more intelligent with how you approach something rather than necessarily... I think it's part education. Uh, so, so, And by that I mean there are a lot of people who don't know this is an issue because no one has told them this is an issue. Mm-hmm. And I find it very easy that people complain about that, say, oh, you should, you should, you should make everything accessible. But if you don't know how it's you quite should a broad do term. that... Yeah. Like if, if you say yeah. make it accessible, it's like, well... Yeah. How, what do you mean by it? like yeah. it's very broad in that in it's that context? Super broad. Yeah. It, it is it is incredibly broad. It's even worse that some ways of making something accessible is mutually exclusive of making it accessible for other people. Mm. So if you're visually impaired, so you have bad vision or you're blind, mm. you'll most likely use either a, a braille screen, mm-hmm. which will translate whatever it sees on the page. To Braille, which is great, it's amazing. The so, how does that does that does it create it's like tactile? A, okay, yeah, it's, so it's really ta- cool. Wow. So, it's like a tactile screen that you can touch, and it will show the content uh, in 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 Braille. In Braille. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like literally yeah. in Braille. That's it. Um, and or they or they will use a screen reader, which mm-hmm. will read the screen out loud. Or they use both. There are many mm-hmm. people who use both. Um, these people will not be able to, to use your product, right? Mm. Um, but if you do the work to make it possible for them to use, you may start doing things like announcing icons. So what we see as an icon, like yeah. a gear icon, yeah. which we think is settings, you give it a label. You say, this is settings, which is great, because now they can see by hearing or by mm-hmm. feeling what we can see with our eyes. However, and now here comes the thing... <laughs> where you need to know this is that some people will use voice commands to browse the page. So like Siri, for, would, would that be yeah, an example? Like Siri. Like, hey, Siri, go to settings. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm. And if the visual textual label on the page doesn't match that extra accessible label that you added, mm. so it doesn't start with the same text, and nowadays the more modern tools, they do inclusion, yeah. it won't be able to click that button. So just the experience of navigating around as someone who has trouble seeing in that context just becomes like real Yeah, so in these cases, the yeah. in these cases, people who use, uh, and it's very important to understand that, People will use assistive technologies in different ways than we expect them to use mm-hmm. it, right? So someone using a screen reader doesn't mean that they're blind. Yeah. One of my employees uses it when he's tired yeah. because that's how he keeps focus. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way, some people using speech commands, it may be because 
and not because they don't have hands, but because um, they are nurturing a child. Mm. Or they are on the road. Mm-hmm. Or there are so many reasons why people will use these tools that are different than their original purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, but not knowing that this is how the tools work make it very hard to develop for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I find it... I. F- I, f- I find a lot of things. One of the things is I find it interesting that in university there was about zero minutes spent talking about the subject. Okay. And this okay. goes for most people. Most people I've talked to do not learn this at school. Well, I mean, this is the first time that, I mean, to be really honest, like yeah. I probably had a conversation about this yeah. this topic. I mean, yeah. uh, it's kind of floating around, but yeah. but in terms of actual concrete examples that I'd never really considered that's you know yeah. my wife is pregnant or was pregnant and or now has a baby child yeah and you can't do stuff with your hands exactly <laughs> so speak, so speakerphone yeah. is great yeah um and this is this is this is what we call situational impairment mm. so you have you you have different categories of impairments right you have permanent impairments so if you cut off your hand you don't have a hand mm. but if you sprain your arm or you break yeah. your hand it's temporary and then you have situational impairments which is well you have your hands full yeah um and all of them would like it if stuff was more accessible and that doesn't just go for programming but for anything Mm -hmm. anything in the world uh but with programming it's something that we can influence it's just and it's just so the second thing so the first thing is we don't we don't get educated about this right but the second thing is is that the big companies who do have the resources Mm -hmm. to spend on this they are horrible. In general, they are horrible. Yes, there are great teams. There are great accessibility advocates. You know who you are. Um, there are definitely big companies who have made a lot of improvement over yeah. the past years. But in general, this is not something that people do by default. Mm. Whereas, you know, making sure that the site loads is something that they do. Yeah, And... And and that's something that people do care about. But I think it's interesting because at the moment, like I think there's a there's a negativity around creating something for accessibility. I would say that the the general perception is that it's an it's an additional thing that one has to do. Yeah. But actually, if you flip it around and you say, well, you make it so much m- more available, yeah, then that changes the 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 dynamic completely. And I like what you said about that because it kind of feels like when you talk, I feel like there's a hopefulness about it, which is, hey, actually, you can make your product stand out from the crowd because you're actually yeah, making it, it more available. Yeah, I think that in that, that sense, <laughs> is that, am I being a bit uh, like, is that a bit twee or a bit like stupid? In I one think sense? the positive thing is is that you can do it. Yeah, this is not something that is you don't need to be a rocket scientist. Yeah. this is a great thing. Yeah. the negative part is that we actually we actually are talking about this that it's the exception, yeah. which is sad. It, mm-hmm. it really is sad. Um, but I do hope, and I do fight for making more people aware. And then care. Yeah. And um, the question I get most about this is, okay, DJ, you convinced me, but how how do I convince my coworkers and how do I yeah. convince my boss? Uh, the past three years, as a company and as an employer, we've changed a few things. So the first thing we've changed is we don't charge for accessibility. It's not an invoice because... It shouldn't be. So you but you build that into your, your scope. So you, you would say like, okay, here's yes. you can we'll build we'll develop your app normal 
and then okay, you want the additional accessibility? We'll throw ah, that yeah. in as part yeah, of that. Yeah, that's interesting. So we don't do that. Okay. You don't throw in accessibility in the same way that you shouldn't throw in animation. Okay. You don't throw in design after the fact because it becomes very hard to mm -hmm. design something, right? So when we build something new now, mm -hmm. it's accessible. Mm -hmm. That's not an option. So it's just that it is the spec. It's yes. not it's, it's not, not a line additional thing. No, yet. it's not a line item. It's not a it's not a point in the project. We sometimes list it when people mm. ask for it. They say, "Can you please make it accessible?" Then we will put it in. You there. see what I I even had that assumption that it yes. was like an additional. You piece, don't. So, yeah. Every every button you put on your page should be a button, mm -hmm. and every link you put on a page should be a link. Mm. And for those who know what I'm talking about, this is common sense. Mm. But for a lot of people, that's not what they do. So, so how does that then fall into like best practice side of things? Because, you know, you could you could do things cheaply in the sense of not make everything a link a link. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a, that's a that's a very interesting, <laughs> very interesting comment. So, so this 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 ties back into how do I convince my boss? At the moment, as programmers, there is so much scarcity. Mm. There are so much offers of there's so many job offers, mm. right? So right now, for the majority of people who are who already have worked mm. in the programming space, it won't be very hard to find a new job. This is with the caveat that I only know the <laughs> I only know the current states in the West. Yeah. So I can absolutely imagine that in other places of the world it is difficult, but mm. right now in the West it's not. If your boss cannot be convinced by you saying that they should care about it, you should leave. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to turn this into a, a cost battle, you will lose. Because all they'll see is it takes more time. Mm -hmm. Now, if you use best practices, right? So if you use the web, if you use the web standards, mm -hmm. and if you know about this, and if you invest the time to know about these things, being accessible for low to medium interactive applications doesn't take more time. Mm. And it's because you're just doing it as part of... Yeah, it's, it's because yeah. you're using things that smarter people than me have come yeah. up with and yeah. they are accessible by default, yeah. right? So think input fields. When you mm. input, you have to put your name into an input field. Um, there's an HTML element, which is called the input mm. element. If you use the input element by default, it will allow you to use a keyboard, but also use... Uh, speech commands to fill it yeah. in. Okay. If you use a different element, say a div, and you try to make it behave mm. like an input element, you're probably not going to consider all the things other people already thought about. Yeah. And that's the point, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you don't try to do something special, and you don't try, don't think that you're you're smarter yeah. <laughs> than those people, you will probably use the standard. And if you use the standard, you're already halfway there. Yeah. And for everything else, because that's that to me is the most compelling argument. It's like uh, one of the most compelling arguments is just do what the things were designed to be yeah, used. Yeah, and as, you'll, right? <laughs> you'll actually make it easier for for new people who come yeah. into the company to understand your code. You'll make it easier for people um, who are just starting out because yeah. you can point them to all this documentation that already exists out there. Right? That's not you're not reinventing the wheel here. You're that's not reinventing the wheel, and that's that, that's the point. And because I now, after after years of studying this by myself, because I I decided to care, I I know that so many things are actually not difficult to do. Mm. And so if you do them, and if you make them part of your regular workforce, they mm. actually become easier for everyone mm -hmm. to do. 
which makes everything more inclusive for everyone, which also makes this more common, which makes it again easier because and then more fun and then yes, yeah. exactly. Um, the, the one of the inventors of the World Wide Web, I I don't know the quote by heart, but it's in the talk and. Uh, you should link it if you put this online. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, put it in the show line. notes. So, but yeah. but he said that that this was the web was for it was it was to be consumed by anyone and everyone. Mm. So the whole the whole basis of interconnectivity of the World Wide Web was for more people to consume more information. It was universities mm-hmm. who started sharing their research details and sure. Um, you know, there were governments who thought, oh, maybe we can have a military application for this, just like how GPS started out. But in essence, it was a science project and they didn't expect it to be this big. Mm -hmm. But when they found out that by connecting computers to each other and sharing data, you could actually do more work more fast Mm -hmm. and you have access to this big library of data and you didn't need to write it down in books which get outdated. Accessible was the founding pillar of the internet, you could argue. Yes, exactly. It, it 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 boomed, yeah. and and we need to we need to keep it that way. We need to make products that are inclusive, and this goes, this this goes not just for web applications, not for mobile applications, but go, goes for everything. So, dear Google, when you design a labeling system for your Google Photos and you start tagging black people as monkeys because you don't put in monkeys in your additional data set, that's just unprofessional. Yeah. Apart from social aspects right mm. so apart from ageism ableism and racism it's just unprofessional if you mm. don't think about how to make your product inclusive mm. and that is i mean that is my stance and i know it's people say oh you're, you you care a lot about this but that's a fun thing i don't i don't gain from this personally I don't gain mm. from this personally, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm able-bodied in yeah. almost every sense of way. Um, sure, I'm, I'm a bit weird. They dropped me as a child. There's that. But, but other <laughs> than that, I don't need these things myself. Yeah. And that's not why I think people should care. It's because I do want other people to be able to, to see, hear, mm. use whatever I, I built. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes. I, there's plenty of code that I write that is absolutely inaccessible or or not inclusive, but when I find out, I try to make it yeah, better. Try to rectify the whole thing. And that's yeah. not a that's not like, oh yeah, this is something we could do. Mm. No. When mm. someone says this to me, it's something I feel I must do. Yeah. Otherwise they can't use it. Yeah. It's like a no brainer. <laughs> it is. It really is a no brainer. They they can't use it. But it's good because it, it means that you're bringing something fresh and well not not even fresh. It's just like you're bringing back to the the, the front something that the world wide web for example was built upon and it's it's like a core value and i think that's 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 important you don't yeah. want to don't forget yeah. that because tech is actually quite inaccessible to a lot of people yes um even the knowledge of it it's still a, a small group of people who tend to understand well think about how the majority of programming languages is in english yeah assuming that everyone speaks english mm, exactly right um how a lot of programming languages requires um special hardware mm. for example internet connection yeah uh, and high-speed internet connection, mm. which is more required, more and more. And this is also these are also things that I mention to people. Mm. Um, you know, they'll write something that you can only do if you have a Mac or if you have Linux. I'm like, there's a lot of people on Should Windows. Should write it back in the days if you had a dial-up 56 whatever <laughs> modem. Imagine that. Well, so I do remember those times <laughs> yeah, so where your parents I. want to call and you're on the internet. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and they can't. That. Yeah. 
and I, so I don't I don't know if that's something with the current generation. I don't know if this is the problem of a lot of the money mm. being in the West. We do generally have access to high speed internet, mm. which makes it very easy to forget mm. that not the entire world has it. But it's also it's also stuff that that's not very hard to think about, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an interesting conversation because exorcism is trying to create an opportunity for as many people in the world as possible to learn code, which means that most of the population in the world where it's growing is in the emerging markets. Like yes. India, South America, Africa. And internet connection is way more sketchy at this point in time in those in those parts of the world. So yeah. are we building programs that people cannot access because it's um the internet doesn't cannot handle but you know that's always a consideration as well yeah you know? there's a lot of different things to think about yeah d- definitely um it, but it, to the point though of course there are there are plenty of people in emerging markets with great internet connections yeah. and there are plenty of people in <laughs> um for example where i traveled the most in california that have no internet connection because yeah. there's just no coverage <laughs> which is very interesting uh, but it's always online and this high speed requirement and this mm. this fast device requirement this expensive machinery mm. requirement these are they're not all arbitrary but there are a lot of easy things we can do from having budgets mm. Think of um, uh, budgets in size, right? Mm-hmm. How much are you going to push through the wire to having access to offline modes mm-hmm. to making sure that your code works with assistive technology that are not easy to, that are not hard to start. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's actually very easy to start making it better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things why it's, it is, it is, if you think about it, it's one of the ways why I stayed with exorcism is because um, there were so many different opinions, but everyone wanted the same thing, mm. which I find very interesting, right? So there is this, this very gr- large group of maintainers and contributors, but also mentors, mm-hmm. who all want the same thing. Mm. Every single person, to some extent, said, I am going to help other people acquire a new language. Mm. And I, I don't really care how good they are, mm. but I will help them get better. Mm-hmm. And I think that made me want to stay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. This is why I'm probably still around. Also, Jeremy likes it when I complain. So, <laughs> you know, there, there's that. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's really interesting on the whole accessibility topic. I've got two more little things I just wanted yeah, to ask you before we have to head off. The first thing was that we're really keen to drill into this concept of an idea or a a hill that you would die on in the tech space. And the reason we wanted to talk about this and we wanted to frame it in a positive perspective is that there's a lot of opinion out in in the old tech industry. Um, and uh, we just keen to have conversation around those things and have good conversation around those different things. So what is the hill in the tech industry that you would be prepared to die on? And framing it in a, in a like positive kind of this is what I would really vouch for um, and you probably touched on it a little bit before in our conversation just now but is there something that you would be like this is my the thing that I think is key that I would fight for there are so there are so many to choose from and obviously mm-hmm. uh, obviously making making the world's software inclusive would be would be the easiest mm-hmm. to grab but I don't think it's the one I care most about um funny enough there are especially especially the past few years 
there are many, many vocal people who conduct behavior that's not considered very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to do the, around things like gatekeeping. So, oh, if you haven't studied at a university, you don't know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or um, the conversations that backend is more complex than frontend. Mm-hmm. Now, here, <laughs> and this ties again, ties into exorcism. Uh, but the thing that I, I hope we will see is that is that those conversations, they're pointless. Mm. Um, because to a front-ender, back-end is hard if you don't know what mm. you're doing. <laughs> it's like trying to be a bricklayer if you've never <laughs> done yeah, it. Yeah, like but you know how hard, back-end, uh, how yeah. hard front-end is for back-enders who've never done it. Yeah. When I come up with this accessibility topic, they, they're like, oh, I, I don't deal with that mm. because I do back-end. People who write software for embedded systems, chips, rockets, yeah. They are brilliant. Mm. They they have so many more constraints than we can imagine. Mm-hmm. And then there's game programmers, and mm. they are they are brilliant at what they do, trying mm. to figure out how you can make your GPU contain all those textures of all the of the, all those new and brilliant games. Mm. It it's such a different way to approach things. But this is what makes it interesting. Mm. What makes makes programming and talking about program interesting is how it's different and yeah. how you don't understand it. And this is what we should do instead of saying, oh, you're this and you're that, negative, adject, adverb, noun, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> be interested in this because yeah. you may learn from it. Mm. Now, there are definitely companies and there are definitely individuals and there are groups who do this. There mm. are crossovers between so many fields mm. that people don't realize. HTTP2 is basically doing TCP, a network protocol, over UDP, something Mm. that was very common in online RPGs, Mm. which needed to be able to push much more data without a persistent connection. Mm. Um, React, one of the frameworks uh, where you can build reactive um, applications for both web and for mobile phones using something that's called the double render technique, Mm -hmm. which comes from games um but also the other way around uh, all the assistive enhancements that we now have on our websites are also being introduced in the gaming world mm. right uh, especially microsoft has been doing a lot of work with some of the newer games where they add more uh, more options such as subtitles such as voiceovers for the menus mm-hmm. but also things like difficulty curves so we know that programmers have have different ways of how they acquire the knowledge and how they learn mm-hmm. and the speeds of which they learn and and it goes the same way with using a product mm-hmm. whether that's an interface like buying a ticket mm-hmm. on a machine or playing a game doesn't really matter and it's actually the crossover between all these different fields and all these different roles that will bring us to a place where everything is better literally yeah. everything is better yeah. because you do see that the big things over the past years um, that are brilliant are crossovers, mm. right? Between all these fields, and so people are gonna gatekeep. We're gonna gate- gatekeep, but you're holding yourself back when you mm-hmm. do that. And so, what I think, what hill I would definitely die on, die on, 
is the one where I say, if you don't do that, you're going to help yourself, mm -hmm. right? So it's not just being inclusive, but being open to other languages, to other fields, to other roles, as opposed to saying, mine is harder, mine is more complex, mine is better, mine is whatever. This is also, you know, what leads to a lot of innovation because someone builds a new framework yeah. when they try to add one little thing to the standard. Yeah. Um, it does give us more knowledge if you think about it in a positive way. Okay, so uh, final question for you today. Yeah. What recommendation would you give to the community in anything? It can be food, exercise, or whatever. If there was one recommendation that you would give to our community for this week, what would it be? If there's one recommendation. Um, that's interesting. My one recommendation would be when you come to the Netherlands, understand that the Netherlands is bigger than Amsterdam. If you already live in the Netherlands and you live in Amsterdam, understand there's a world outside the ring. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> and if you're from the province, don't be mad when people call you a provincial. Because you are. <laughs> there we go. That is the, the good recommendation from DJ today. DJ, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're heading out uh, for some dinner now. But I um, hope you've enjoyed that, everyone listening. Uh, DJ, thank you so much for, for pulling in for, for this impromptu recording uh, this week. It's great to see you. Great to, to have a good chat. So... Uh, we will link all of the notes um, to different links and talks and things that DJ's mentioned in the show notes. But DJ, thank you. You're really welcome. Really great you're to welcome. have you. And uh, we appreciate all that you do for exorcism and who you are. So thank you very much. All right, all right.